love I love seltzers, dude. Really? So, yeah. The white claw for me, I'm like, all right, not 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 like normally. My... There's just nothing to dislike. There's no. There's <laughs> nothing to. There's nothing there. It does, it's not something you can have a strong opinion about. It's not like an IPA. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a blank canvas. Man. I always like uh, IPAs. I, I like an IPA, but IPAs, I'm like, they're all like, fuck your mother, IPA. And I'm like, why does why this got to be so personal, man? I just want a beer. It's overly aggressive <laughs> titles for the micro breweries. Yeah, it's like, come on, Stone. Yeah, yeah I'm calling you out, Stone. Oh my I don't God. care if you want to be a sponsor of our podcast, but we'll, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, journeys, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I your feel taste, like how your taste has changed, how our tastes change over time. I feel like we should start this conversation with a prayer. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, mm. just ask that you would forgive Colton for uh, just all the stuff that he's about to admit mm-hmm. live to all of our listeners today. Um, I ask that you would forgive me, but then I reconsider and mm. I say, why start now? Yeah. In your name I pray. Amen. Oh, man. <laughs> Spiritual journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know where to start. So basically, what we were thinking about for this aspect of Dan and I's friendship and the topic of friendship in general for this season four of the Back Pew, we figured let's take a look back on where we came from. Uh, we started this in like 2016. 2016. Like, er, like pretty Ooh, early 2016, yeah. like April, I think. Yeah. So four, I would say, pivotal years. I think the late 20s of everybody's life are pretty transitional. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say pivotal years nationally, culturally. It's been a wild four yeah, years. Yeah. I mean, what we've lived through with like social upheaval. Yeah. I mean, that was the Trump era. Yeah. It was right after yeah. we started the, the back pew. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. he was not president when we started. No, he was running. Yeah. Yeah. He was running. Uh, I think that shifted everything and i look at who i was as a 20 what was i 26 and i just want to if i could look back at him i'd be like hey man best of luck you know mm-hmm. there's no advice i would give to that person yeah it's just an inevitable journey it's of shit it's just like this hey it's a it's just gonna be a rowdy one yeah it's just i mean you're gonna be okay i think i would say you're gonna be okay yeah, that's a good, that's more comforting than what I had to say. Yeah. Um, You're just kind of a dick. <laughs> well, I'm just, I think, because, okay, so f- before we even get too far down, you know, in the weeds on this one, I, just, I would just like label this episode, like the, the transition from traditional evangelical Christian mm-hmm. to mystic, mm-hmm. which mystic is just another term for very loosey-goosey, mm-hmm. uh, very gray, very third way thinking. Um, very much like I love the power of scripture mm-hmm. and I love the Christ narrative, but I have had to basically control out, delete my spirituality. Yeah. I think for me, it's the, I love the power of, of language and words. Mm-hmm. So I love the power of these stories, some of which I believe did transpire, some of which I believe might not have, and it doesn't yeah. really matter. Um, but I think that the important thing is the lessons held within and the fact that they were passed down and that they like they mattered to people who really needed them yeah. and have mattered for thousands of years for people who really needed them. Um, but yeah, that that mysticness for me is there's just something more than the material, than the physical. Right. There's something binding all this together. I'm not a hundred percent sure what it is. Yeah. I call it God. Or the divine. Mm-hmm. I like the term the divine. Softens it, makes her right. sound like a lady. Um, <laughs> but I, um, 
I, I can't remember who said it, but I love the quote. Um, God, God is the name of the blanket we throw over the mystery to mm. give it a shape. Right. I really, really resonate with that. It's so interesting sitting with the beliefs I have now because I feel like if I were to describe them to younger 25-year-old me, they'd have been like, yeah, 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 that checks out. That's what Christianity is saying. But I had no internalization of it. Everything I had, and I think this is the big flaw of the evangelical church is it's all very concrete. Mm-hmm. It's all very concrete, logical thoughts. You quote your scripture, you have your tried and true practices that you don't, you don't budge on. Everything you do is the right way to do it. Church on Sunday, once a week, prayer groups, whatever, memorize scripture. Um, and there's not a lot of comfort with mystery mm-hmm. and with this metaphysical God mm-hmm. and all these scientific discoveries we have now about black holes and dark matter and all this stuff. There was no compartment to fit that stuff in because I think deep down a lot of traditional evangelicals are terrified that we have a God that is not this classic, all-seeing, omnipotent thing, this very human-esque God. I think most evangelicals prefer a very human deity, Mm -hmm. you know, versus this vast, mysterious, cosmic energy. Right. That that spooks me, man. Like I, I'm not above it. Like a lot of the terror I've had in my spiritual growth comes from letting go of these classic ideas of heaven, letting go of these classic ideas of God being this big booming voice in the sky and trying to lean into something that actually does make, it makes sense from like a gut level, not a logic level, but a gut level of like, I think there's some like energy in this natural world that that's how we got created. You know, that's why we're alive. And I want to believe it's love. I want to believe it's a, be- a benevolent energy. Yeah. That's the the step I'm at currently, which yeah. is trying to internalize a benevolent energy. Mm-hmm. I think I can accept that there is an energy that has created everything. Right. And I'm not saying energy in the woo woo. St- I'm, I'm saying like scientifically, there's like this energy that permeates creation to like right. waves. Yeah, it's it's it, the the hope and the faith that it's a benevolent energy and not that it's an apathetic energy like right. gravity. Like right. gravity keeps your feet on the ground, but it also crushes you with a piano. Like yeah, it's, I I I, literally, I just don't want to believe that. Like, yeah, I, I hope not. I, mean, I yeah, yeah. I, I think that's where I feel like I think part of the journey of spirituality is is accepting that that might be a possibility. Yeah. And then choosing to have faith that there's a benevolent version of that energy. It's I think not that, apathetic. I think that is exactly what faith is. Yeah. I still find myself and I'm pretty I'm pretty woo-woo and out there at this <laughs> point, but I still find myself when times get hard, I'm like God, if you are just some big king out there, can you help me out? Right. Like if you are some giant gatekeeper between me and everything good, can can you just let some can of you that hook a brother up? Can, yeah. you, can you hook me up? Yeah. I don't believe in that anymore, but I still sometimes in my weaker moments find myself like, hey, just in case I'm going to toss up a Hail Mary. Right. Um, do you read script? Do you read the Bible at all? Yeah, I was actually just going to bring that up. I have not read the Bible in quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I still read. I love reading like books about the Bible. Right. I like reading like, you know, Richard Rohr. Yeah. I like reading commentary. Our, yeah. yeah, yeah. I like reading commentary. Um, and I like... I like reading spiritual thinkers and even biblical thinkers. I like yeah. theology. Um, but no, I haven't picked up and actually read scripture in a while. Right. I do attend a faith community, so I have scripture read to me, mm-hmm. but I'm not actively engaging with it in any like you know personal, profound way on my own. Hmm. And there's a part of me that wonders like, 
I feel like I still remember like the Bible fairly well mm-hmm. from like my, you know, when I did read it more, <laughs> but I sometimes wonder like, is the Bible as generous as I think it is? Is the, is, am I, am I misinterpret? am I misremembering the, am I making it softer than it is? If I picked mm-hmm. it up and read it, would I actually be like, oh my God, I actually, I can't justify this. Right. I'm actually not. I'm like, able. am I painting it in a very liberal brush? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, everything looks accepts everybody. Yeah, yeah. My, oh shit. And if I actually read it, I'm like, no. It turns out I just can't relate to this at all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> That's where I'm trying to read it with a different lens because I've I've gone long seasons. I just I went for most of my life. It was always like you would read scripture every day. That was just like the right like thing to do. I, quiet time. Yeah. To me, it was like a it's part of a healthy diet. And then I've gone long seasons without it, and it's gone more the route of the commentary route. Uh, but in the last eight months or so, I've, I found myself being curious to reread it through the lens of who I am now. And I just have all these older voices in my head where they're like, read scripture more as a commentary on the group of people trying to find God than commentary directly on who God is. Because church today takes this literal view of what scripture is saying and saying like these people had it 1000% right. And what they said is true and good for teaching. It's all- and we should... It's about us. Yeah. And we just have to stick with this one book. Um, And I just find that to be so empty and I find it to be so narrow and unapplicable to most of the people who live in the world. Mm -hmm. And now when I pop back into that bubble, I'm like, you all are speaking a language that no one else cares about. Mm -hmm. I, I, I saw on somebody, my friend's Instagram this morning um, that he popped into Mark Driscoll's new church. Mm in Arizona. And I was just like, I fucking hate this guy. And I was like, well, that's more of a commentary on what I need to fix in my soul. Cause I shouldn't feel that way about anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is to me, the mystic version of like universal connection, non-judgmental right. belief. But what I was looking at, I was listening to parts of his sermon and just going this, this group of people cannot take what he is saying and bring it anywhere else mm-hmm. besides their evangelical pocket. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that has stopped being useful to me. Cause I don't want to live in that pocket anymore. I think when I was at APU and then in seminary and at mosaic, I was like, I am so surrounded by this bubble that it's always applicable. Mm-hmm. All of these truths, all of these little witty sayings that like these pastors are saying, I can bring this to small group. I can bring this to my friends at their house uh, on Sunday afternoons when we're at church, I can reference all this stuff. And then I've just gotten into a circle. I'm like, this does, no one cares. Mm-hmm. Like people are looking for real answers to their mental health. They're looking for real answers to political and social injustice. And these churches that I was raised in, mostly white evangelical churches that believe like scripture is literal and they believe in like a literal Jesus. um, I'm like, you all don't impact society Mm -hmm. in any way. And I have a hard time seeing Jesus as non-impactful. The Jesus I know is is such a social... um, revolutionary yeah, in every way for it. Yeah. In every way. So when I see these pockets of Christianity where I'm like, your sermon had nothing to do with right. what's going on today in society. Right. And so I think I'm trying to find this cultural Jesus where I'm like, how do I take what he, I think there is a timelessness to Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Um, strip the whole Christ savior thing. What he did is timeless to me. And I think I'm trying to get back to the roots of how do I embody what I think this guy was. And I think he was connected to a divine source, whether or not you believe he's a savior. uh, I'm like, I just want to be connected to some sort of energy that lets me be persecuted. Like he experiences the highest highs and the lowest lows. And I think that's what I want to be capable of handling. 
because mm -hmm. I feel in my mental health, I'll experience a, a micro low and it'll freak me out. Yep. And I'm like, I don't think this is what the model of Jesus was. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he could handle people hating him. People handling, he could handle being marginalized. He could handle people shaming his ethics and morality. And he was a good time because people wanted to go have hell, drinks with him. Hell yeah, dude. So I was like, you can have, you can be a good time, Colton, and, and still hold these morals and ethics. And I have a fun time trying to imagine this man who allowed himself to be bankrolled by like <laughs> wealthy women and men in his, in his group. Mm-hmm. He hung out with a completely politically disparate group of young dudes. Like yeah. one of the 12 is a tax collector, totally in league with the Roman Empire. You could say a Trumpist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one yeah. of them is absolutely like, hey, look, man, the Romans are always going to be around. Make your money while you can. Yeah. This is the way of the world. And he hangs out with Simon the Zealot. He's yeah. like, burn this mother to <laughs> the ground. Bernie Sanders, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a funny sitcom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's hanging out with this group of dudes and I love imagining, I don't know why, as, as a kid, I always imagined the disciples as like gruff older men. They're probably like 19. Yeah. You know, the, uh, some of them are probably older, but like Peter's probably 20. Yeah. It's just so interesting to me to imagine this guy who's, he's got this group of kids and they're all a bunch of fuck ups and renegades and they run their mouth and they're and having they're disagreements like, can we sit beside and, you hey, in yeah. heaven and he's like what are you all even talking yeah. about and that's like the best of the best yeah he's like these i'm plucking anyone who's useful at this point yeah and that's what he came up with you know also i kind of wonder like in those bible stories i wonder how many people he walked by and he was like follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I wonder if like hundreds of people were just <laughs> like, like, no, <laughs> like, why can we just like the 12 that followed him or the 12. Hey we know dude, about? the poor carpenter guy told me I should go follow him. <laughs> but like, I love thinking about this guy who must've been an engaging enough speaker to speak to thousands of people. He must have been funny. He's a good, he's clearly a very wise storyteller. Yeah. He's like slinging yarns. Yeah. He's hanging out with like the wildest, craziest people. He's, he's also got, like, yeah. He's got rich friends. He's got poor yeah, friends. The whole spectrum. Everybody loves this guy. Yeah. And everybody hates this guy. And he's not given a lot of concrete answers. He's giving you a lot of character lessons, but he does not leave you with a, hey, do A and do B and then you'll get to C in heaven. It's, it's, it's so vague. Even him to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, whatever. That's vague. Yeah. It's not a lot of clear answers. Also, like for the time, this is a dicey, this is a dicey thing to say because it, uh, we immediately are like, how would he fit into America today? And I'm like, I don't know that he would or could yeah. like, but he had to, he's in, in his culture, in his time, he's the most non PC guy. Yeah. He says everything you're not supposed to say. He right. challenges every status quo. Right. He goes against everybody at any given point to get to something deeper, to get to something truer and right. more painful and more vulnerable. Yeah. And I, I think I resonate less now with like Jesus, um, Jesus Christ, the savior of mankind. Right. But I do resonate with like Jesus, God with us. Yeah, what it, does that mean? It's so funny because I feel like last night when we were talking with with Helen, we were talking about like religion and accepting things. I think she she was making a joke, but I think she was right. like, "Can I be can I be Christian without the Jesus?" And right. I was like, "That's the best part." I would <laughs> yeah, I'd throw the rest. Of I it would away. throw the book out. I would throw all the other church like toss it. Right. Um, but if you could get like a little small like Reader's Digest version of Jesus, um, 
and like maybe some little commentary on why he's saying what he's saying because he makes a lot of like references that don't make sense nowadays. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that would be the best part. That's yeah. where you could rip it out of the Bible and you'd be okay for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, I think that's the part of me I'm trying to, I'm trying not to throw the baby out with the bathwater in my spiritual progression mm-hmm. as I especially become more of like a cosmic Christ person. And I, I love, I love Richard Rohr as a person, which is why I believe his spirituality. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I believe he's the genuine article. Yeah. And that's, that's a big change for me where I think I would listen to people who I didn't necessarily like because they just had authority. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, I kind of have to look at your character and, and look at your personality and be like, is this a balanced human being? Cause anybody can study scripture and learn, theology any i went to seminary i've seen completely socially dysfunctional people become pastors because they have really memorized great theological points right um and i'm like i just don't care for that anymore mm-hmm. uh, i'm more i'm more concerned with something that transforms a person and i have a really hard time with people who are are comfortable with the cultural christianity you know what I mean? They have like Christian artwork in the home and they go to church every Sunday. And I'm like, it does not inform your life. And I can tell you this because you're never uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Tell me the last time you were comfortable at church, like really viscerally uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you if you are living a real authentic spiritual life. I know that makes it seem like I have all the answers, but I'm like, I don't have the answer as much as just I have a compass. I feel like I have a good compass to say like, I think you're walking in an honest direction, not right. necessarily the best. I don't know the perfect solution but Jesus made everyone around him uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. His closest followers pieced out when he died Mm -hmm. and had to be wooed back by seeing him in the flesh. You know what I mean? They were uncomfortable by, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They all were like murmuring. What the fuck is he talking about? This guy is ruining dinner. Dude, it is Passover, bro. (laughs) Like sell my shit and follow you. No. And so when people go to church and it's comfortable every Sunday, and they're happy just to go to brunch. I'm like, I don't think you are connected to a Christ figure. That's a club. That's a club. Yeah. And it's hard because I'm sure there are friends in my life that would defend their Christianity, you know, but then you read their authors or you look at their bookshelf and you're like, do any of these people make you uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Cause you should lean into the ones that are, that rattle you, you know, I had a, I had a friend recently send me a book and we are so different at this point. But we were like best friends in college. One of those friendships <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. where I'm like, yeah, we went through a time together. You had a season that will like, they're permanently in your life. Yeah. Because of but that, that was season. 10 years ago. I don't know yeah. how it would play out in person. Now we'll see. But he sent me a book called Gentle and Lowly. And it's uh, about gentle and lowly. And the, the subtitle is understanding the heart of Christ or something to that effect. I'm sure that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Probably <laughs> nailing it. Yeah. Gentle and lowly. And it's all about how Jesus Christ is gentle and lowly and how much compassion and love he has for us wretched, wretched sinners. Yeah. And uh, the be- in the beginning, the author, I appreciate his honesty, but the author comes out and he's just like, I feel that there has been no better time in scriptural study and theological writing than during the protestant and puritan reformations and i was like if if that's your go-to source for understanding who jesus of nazareth was you're 1500 years late yeah (laughs) you're you're in the wrong continent yeah and you're having to filter it through 2000 years of european history Mm -hmm. 
So it's a weird place to start. And then everything is filtered through like, Jesus is good because he loves us. And we are such horrible <laughs> wretches. And I realized in, in reading it, I haven't finished the book. I intend to. But I realized in reading it, I was like, oh, I I guess this makes me a heretic, but I guess I just don't believe that humans are all that wretched anymore. No, I mean, people were burned at the stake for having ideas like that. I mean, that's yeah. a Calvinist Calvinism is all about, I mean, one of our original episodes was about how Calvinism fucked you up mm -hmm. because it, it was those five points are really hard to argue against, you know, unless you look at the Bible as a whole narrative and you start doing some legitimate research on scripture translation. Right. It's really easy to read as though Adam sinned or Eve sinned that wretched woman mm -hmm. uh, and she brought sin into our lives or whatever. And then we've just been broken ever since. Yeah. And until you realize like that's Jewish people writing that story in exile. Mm -hmm. you, I mean like that Genesis and all those books chronologically were not written first. Right. They're just placed at the Bible. Right. Because they're like a narrative, they're an origin story, right. which is when you, that's where you put that kind of content They're in Star a book. Wars prequels. Right, yeah, you'd put it up front, but it doesn't mean that historically that was written first. So it's not like these people are writing after being in the garden, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? They're just, right. they're just narratives to them understanding why they're suffering. Why are we, as Jewish people, we've been conquered by Babylon, all of the best and the brightest have been taken away, our identity and our culture has been stripped away. Sound familiar, anyone in America? Yeah. And so now they're writing a narrative to try to remember who they are and why they are the way that they are. We don't deserve this. Yeah, and so I, I look at that as like, okay, well, if I put myself in the brotherhood of Christianity, even though I'm not Jewish like they were, I look at it as though I have to remember why I am the way that I am and understand why pain is present and understand God's perspective of who I am, which when you read Genesis 1 is good, 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 good. I mean, over and over again, he created this, it was good. He created that, it was good. That was the Jewish understanding of creation was everything was good. Every, every tree, every branch, every stream, every human being, your eyes, your lips, your mouth, all of that's good. These are good features of you. And we experience so much adversity in life that I feel like we just started saying it was because of sin. Mm-hmm. And that did not, that has not helped my emotional stability. hasn't helped my mental health. That narrative of sin mm -hmm. has made me shallow and judgmental and insecure and very controlling because mm -hmm. I had no connection with the natural goodness of life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest transition I've experienced. That's what mysticism is about. Um, mysticism at its core is just the ability to connect with and accept a, a divine being that is benevolent at its core mm -hmm. is good. And that's it. I think so much of modern American evangelicalism is wrapped up in a notion of it's mostly just a social philosophy to keep you out of trouble. Yeah. Like everything is exactly. sort of like you shouldn't have sex because of all the risks. Right. You shouldn't have, if you don't have sex and you marry your perfect person that God has for you, everything will be great. Right. You shouldn't like obey your mother and father, obey authority. All of this stuff is really just like, don't make a mess. Yeah, yeah. Don't make a mess of your life. Which is helpful, which is why it's lasted throughout I, history. I think there's a lot of wisdom to like, life is short, be careful. Yeah. But I think there's also this truth to like, life is messy. Right. It's just going to be messy. Mm -hmm. What is the most important is your character through it. 
but I think that a lot of a lot of the American church is a fear of like I don't want my kids to experience pain, and if they live a perfect Christian life, they won't. Of course, it's untrue. Yeah, and when the scripture says that's not true, it's like it rains on the righteous and the evil alike. Like, right. It's just going to rain, guys. It's going right. to get on all of us. Right. That's where I've really helped. It's helped me with teachers like Richard Rohr have really helped because what I hear in those descriptions is there's a good and a bad, there's a sacred and a profane. Mm-hmm. And that comes from like the tradition of the priesthood where like who's in and who's out has every culture does that. Every culture and society is who's in, who's out. It's not just a white American thing. Everybody develops exclusionary policies. Mm-hmm. And when you put religion on top of it, you say this is sacred and this is profane. And it's just a way of controlling your environment. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And people like Richard Rohr and the tradition of the mystics are like, I don't think anything is profane. I think everything is sacred, but you can desecrate stuff as much as you want. Like sex is sacred, but you can desecrate the fuck out of sex if mm-hmm. if you are, you know, you just, you have no scruples and you want to hurt people. Like that's a way of desecrating something that is inherently good. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, look at all these religions. You look at Mormonism, Catholicism, all these stuff. They all have different labels for sacred and profane. And I think the whole point of Jesus and the mystics is like, nothing is profane. Mm-hmm. Not even profanity is profane. Mm-hmm. If you use a, a swear word in a way that is helpful and good, that's not profane anymore. That is a sacred use of language. Like if the you, Vulgate was. Yeah. Yeah, dude. If you're like, God damn this racism. Mm-hmm. I don't think God's like, well, that was a sin. He just said, God damn it. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, he's, I agree. Yeah. I fucking Concur. hate racism, you know? Mm-hmm. So that to me is a big transition because I lived in a very... Everything was morality-based. Everything in conservative evangelical churches is morality-based. At its core, everything you believe, if you're a conservative evangelical, is morality-based. I want to ask a really pointed question, because I feel like it's a question we both get. Are you a Christian? I would say I hope so. Nice. I hope, man. I think that is a that is a term of endearment as far as I see it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Because for me... I struggle with the opposite where I'm like, I mean, kind of, but I hate who that lumps me in with. Yeah. Um, so I, I've lost a little bit of that term of endearment. And I, I so tell me, tell me just, more about that. I just I don't, don't want society. I know that's the norm. I know a lot of people say like, oh, I'm not a Christian. This isn't Christian music. I just make music. And I'm like, <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. Fine. Um, and it, everything gets co-opted by culture. Right. Even manhood. Is manhood good or is it bad? Sure. Some days in society, it seems like manhood's the most evil, vile shit ever created. Yeah. But I'm like, I think manhood's pretty great. I think womanhood is great too. Sure. So I, I look at Christianity as like, Jesus has something I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe in a, like a cosmic Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think when you read Genesis, it's all we. God says us. He doesn't say I. He says it's always a we language. So... I take that to mean like Christ was there at the beginning. Christ is just a term for like the the divine, the source of creation and the manifestation of God in human form. Mm-hmm. So to be like, yeah, dude, you're just like that guy would be awesome. Yeah. I know most people don't mean it that way. Right. <laughs> well, we forget that it was a re- it was originally an insult. We yeah. forget that, you know. Oh, look at these little Christians. Yeah. These little these whatever. Little, these little, little followers. It's like yeah. you little Kardashian, you, you like love them, you yeah. know. And it's like, it, it, it's sort of like, it's sort of like how nerd culture has turned around. Yeah. Nerd used to be like, you nerd. And now it's like, and yeah. now it's like, yeah, I'm a nerd. Or it's geek squad. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a I'll take that. Pride. Thank you. Yeah. It, you. I mean, it used to be a way to degrade these people who were 
stupid enough to listen to the words of a Jewish carpenter. Yeah. Who was crucified, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I like, don't know how you don't have some level of respect or admiration for Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus Christ. The Jesus of Nazareth, who was a historical dude. He yeah, lived. He existed. Nobody who's got any salt to their historian background. Roman historians like, back yeah, it up. They all, he existed. And so I, I just think that guy has created a bigger ripple effect than almost anybody in the world. Yeah. And so how do you not tip your hat and look at what he taught, remove it from the Bible? Like I said, you can tear those pages out and just listen to what he said, man. He had great points about classism, racism, sexism, mm-hmm. generosity, meditation, the way he lived. I mean, it's pretty cool shit. Uh, yeah. I have another pointed question. Yeah. I've actually got a couple of these. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, I'm, I always like talking about this stuff with you because you have much more theological training than I do. It's I'm, fading quickly, though. I'm a, I feel I'm like a, the less. <laughs> I'm a gonzo theologian, and you're like a real theologian. Um, now, at this point in your life, where do you feel like Jesus stacks up with the other great spiritual teachers of history? And, 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 and attached to that, do you have any interest in any of those other faiths? Do you have, is there like a curiosity in Eastern mysticism and in like Eastern faiths? Do, are, are there elements of Islam that I are mean, interesting to you? I think all mysticism is Eastern by nature, but I think, sure. I think, uh, I think all religions can, can do really profound things. I think the Muslim faith is, is one of those face that's really fascinating because it's it's so it permeates the culture so deep mm-hmm. that it, it's almost unquestioned mm-hmm. which i think is healthy and unhealthy i have critiques and loves of all the religions i mm-hmm. think they all miss the mark and they all do beautiful things because mm-hmm. it's an organized religion made of people and religion by nature is you trying to come up with the answers to the biggest most mysterious questions right so whenever you have a hard concrete answer to a big mysterious question i struggle a little bit to be like sure dude whether or not you're muslim you know buddhist whatever you we're all shooting in the dark you know right. Ooh, oh timer. boy okay well we'll wrap on these uh, two questions All right. so i do i am interested in them i do think a lot of people have a lot of truth i think where you're born influences so much of what you have access to so i love learning from people who didn't grow up in the same place or have a different religion i think a lot of the practices they all seem to preach are the same mm-hmm. the, the meditation the generosity the prayer the self-discipline the acceptance they all have a flavor of that. And so for me, I'm like, I'm just going to take the amalgamation of all of this self-awareness practices you guys are doing and take it up for they myself. They all seem to be touching truth. Yeah. They I touch just, it from different sides. Right, right. I just love Jesus because I was raised with him and yeah. I love his story. That's so the language I speak. Yeah, he's my favorite. It's like the first movie I saw when I was a kid. Yeah. So it's my favorite. I love The Lion King. It's my I, favorite I, Disney movie. I like that. He's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> yeah, he's just my favorite. I'm not saying yours is bad. It's just like being a 49er fan. Yeah. I grew up in San Francisco, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I will always be with this as yeah. long as I know. Um, are there any archaic beliefs that you feel like you used to hold old beliefs that you're like, I no longer believe that. But in my, in my dark days, those old fears, those old things, those pop back up. For example, Hmm. I still sometimes wrestle with a fear of like, if I'm wrong, I'm so going to hell. Like it, like that's, and most, most of the time I'm like, wow, that's really silly. This is the, but but every I, once in a while it catches me sideways. It might be silly, but dude, I have a big fear that there's just nothing mm-hmm. that's caused some anxiety attacks. And we have an episode coming up on mental health. Uh, but something that caused me a lot of anxiety is the stripping away of this classic heaven. Yeah, that could give gives me. I mean, I get sad, and it, and then it makes me scared. 
because I have for most of my life believed that like when I die, I'll see all my friends and family. Mm. And when you start going on this journey of reconstructing your faith, which I think is a healthy process, uh, it just, it gets scary. That deconstruction phase where you start allowing your faith to get torn apart so you can rebuild it back stronger. I, I miss that idea of heaven, man. Like in my dark days, I, I, I go, then what is all this for? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to see my wife and my friends and you guys in the afterlife. I don't want to just be some of this floaty energy. I had to stop, um, that Disney movie that just came out. Oh, soul. 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 I was like, fuck this. This is the worst. <laughs> and I turn, cause I don't like their narrative about what the afterlife is. And so I made it like eight minutes and I was like, no, 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 no. This is awful. This is not for me. I don't want to believe in this. Um, so I guess that's still something if I'm being honest, I'm, I love a lot of the romanticized aspects of mm. spirituality and the Bible does not talk a lot about heaven. And yeah. yet we paint vivid, like ideas oh, about what it's going to be. of glass and roads oh. of, roads of and gold. And then you start getting into the book and you're like, wait, where is this described? Yeah. The Jews didn't even believe in it. Hold on. What's this about an angel with a thousand eyes? What yeah. is happening a in here? A dragon and a lion? Like, okay. Yeah. So that's one of the things. Final question. Okay. If you... Uh, we're, we're having a conversation with a young Christian who's reaching that point for the first time of like, I don't know if I believe this anymore and yeah, I am yeah. terrified. What do you think you say to that guy? <sighs> that's, that's someone I just want to, I'd like want to be in a relationship with. I'd want to be like, you can give me a call. I mean, mm-hmm. or a lot of calls or a lot of calls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause that's, there's just no shortcut. I mean, we yeah. talked to your dad a little bit about it cause we're up here at this cabin and he's here and he's a wise doctorate of theology and he's been around the block. And even he's talking about, it's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's been 10 years of this journey for him. And I'm like four years into this Yeah. at the start of the back pew till now, four or five years. And you just hit a lot of terrifying points along the way. And you just, you just stick through it. I mean, avoid cynical people. I know our show is called the back pew. I know people think we have like this cynical shitting on church, I think it's beautiful for the people it helps. I think it's just a part of culture. I don't think it'll ever go away. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be cynical. I think there's a lot of things. I critique things that I have hope can change. Mm-hmm. I, I don't critique anything that I think is just dead in the water. Mm-hmm. It's a waste of energy. So I would say avoid cynical people. If you're in that journey and you are deconstructing Christianity, find ni- find balanced, kind people who are doing good things in the world. Yeah, That's look- it. That's all you got to do. because nothing will make you become a nihilist faster than some ex Christians who have found nothing to do with their lives except for complain about the way it used to be and the way it is Mm -hmm. and have not found a good community and don't do anything with their resources. You can abandon the old religion and still not be looking for the truth still yeah. not be looking for the deeper good. It's not a virtue to just leave the church. I think like what I keep reminding myself of, because right now I know we're going long. Sorry. I, I, I have really come to terms for myself that we started this podcast in 2016 and we, we started this podcast because we were having to start think through some, some difficult stuff. And we wanted to talk openly about it with other people. Right. And now in the year 2021, deconstruction has never been more vogue. <laughs> it is so hip yeah. to be an ex-evangelical. Yep. It is so hot to right now, like shit on youth groups. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to keep doing it because it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It's a good time. But deconstruction is not the end of yeah. the road. 
And I'm really interested now in my 30s. I'm like, I'm really excited about the future of reconstruction. Yeah. Of like, okay, I took this thing apart because it wasn't working. There are pieces that still work. There's pieces here that are valuable. Right. Oh, absolutely. And like, how do, what will those become? What will I do with those? Where will those take me? I'm very excited and hopeful Mm -hmm. and optimistic about reconstruction. And what I feel is like the invitation of the divine Mm. to just lean into the mystery. Yeah. Who knows? It's scary and unnerving. And that's the best motto for it is lean into the mystery, no matter how scary and panic attack inducing it is. You just stick with it. Yeah. Stick with the mystery and the emptiness. I feel like the only meaning of life, the purpose of life is to age, grow, learn, and teach. Yeah. And like pass down the hard earned wisdom that you gained so that maybe other people don't have to learn it the hard way like you did. Yeah. And they just have a comfort blanket along the way. I don't, I don't have any, I have one, I guess I'll count your dad as well. So I have two elders in my life that can even describe this journey Mm -hmm. and the rest of the elders in my life are terrified of it. Mm -hmm. And Richard Rohr describes it as dying. Mm -hmm. He's like, when you hit this threshold of your faith, it feels like death. Yeah. There's no other way. It's such a downer of a way to end this episode. No, I think, <laughs> I think that it's because we see death as being the end of everything instead yes. of a part of but, a part of the journey. Exactly. And that is one of the biggest triggers for things that have given me like depression or panic attacks in the past is I, I, I could feel my body resisting the acceptance of death. Mm-hmm. It, I do not want it without that assuredness of heaven, mm-hmm. this sparkly eternity, my body freaks the fuck out at the idea of death. But yet when I look, I love fall. Yeah. I love fall, which is just celebrating things dying. Mm-hmm. That's all that fall is as a season. Look at the Passing leaves change colors. Look at the tree. It's like that's nature dying. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's just part of, I think, I think Richard Rohr calls it, it's part of the redemptive cycle of life. Mm-hmm. And if you think about redemption as like a kind of one of those Christianese words that gets thrown out a lot, but we never really understand what redemption is. Mm-hmm. It's that. Yeah. It's going through the cycle of life and death and knowing that that's not the end of things. And I cognitively understand that and can repeat it, but I don't, I still have not internalized it. And it's, I am at this huge clash between my head and my soul mm. right now, where it's like, I've cultivated the soil in my soul with all these evangelical rigid beliefs, but it's just broken down. Yeah. Life has broken it. And I'll talk about some of the things that broke it in, a, in the next episode, but, um, you reap what you sow. And so I think you just, as long as it takes to build those evangelical beliefs that are really hard to tear apart, it's going to take just as long to navigate the deconstruction, which is kind of a scary thing to accept when you've spent 25 to, you know, multiple decades building it to go, it's going to take at least half that to deconstruct it and and build something else. So, but it's a, it's the only journey I can see that's worth it. When I look at Mm. healthy, wholehearted people, in the later years of their life, the only ones I know that are like that have gone through this journey. Amen, dude. We're going to wrap it up. I do really want to quickly say, if you're listening, I know we went a little bit late on this episode, but this, this is like a huge passion of, of Colton and, and eyes. And if you're going through this deconstruction process and you're young and you're scared and freaking out, I just want to offer you some comfort 
this is such a beautiful part of life. Mm. It's a really important thing that you are going through, having to confront faith and religion and your assumptions and the way they don't match up with the reality you're experiencing. It's really important. It's hard, but I just want to commend you for going through it. Yeah. And I want to say of those, of those, like the, the Vogue deconstruction, you know, <laughs> memes and whatnot, if it gives you a laugh, go for it. I've got nothing against jokes. I've got nothing against a good sense of humor. And if you see a meme about youth group and you're like, oh yeah, me too. I just want to encourage you not to stay angry and not to stay defeated. It might, that might just be a part of the process. Yeah. Doesn't need to be the end of everything. So Amen thanks to that. for hanging in. Thanks yeah. for hanging in and listening to this one. Thanks y'all. We appreciate you. We love you. Uh, and we hope this is of, of help for the journey. And see money. Thanks for your transparency, dude. Thanks for yours too. Appreciate that. Bye See you everybody. Next time, guys.